Part two, here we go. What is generosity? We kind of settled on a few things, didn't we? Generosity is a way of thinking. Generosity is a way of living. Generosity is a way of seeing. Generosity, we said, is futuristic. We would not be here today if the people of Door of Hope many years ago said we are going to be generous today for tomorrow. And so generosity is futuristic. We are thinking about tomorrow in generosity today. We also said that generosity is without motive. It's a willingness to sacrifice for others with no strings attached. That's what generosity is. And I talked about a couple of stories about being in a restaurant and uh, you know, people paying for a meal and uh, uh, the incredible generosity of some people in our world. Generosity is kind. It's kind. It's sacrificial sometimes. Sometimes you don't necessarily have it to give it. I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about time and abilities and gifts and things like that. We also said that generosity is surprising and also memorable. Some of you would have uh, memorable stories of what it means to be generous, of being on the receiving end, but also maybe on the giving end of generosity. And of course, generosity is expressed in a number of ways. I've already alluded to that. It's expressed in, with our words, with our time with our abilities and gifts and also with our finances. And uh, I don't measure the sense of generosity just on tithes and offerings amongst our congregation. Um, I measure in those things and so much more, an incredibly generous bunch of people. But we said that it's more than just finances, didn't we? We said that it's more a heart issue. It comes down to the core of who we are and what's happening in our lives. And each and every day, if you're like me, I have to work hard for it. I have to work hard at being generous. Anyone else? Yeah? I have to work hard at it. And some people have the spiritual gift of giving. And I'm, I'm so uh, you know, um, uh, impressed by that spiritual gift of giving. It's something that God has blessed them with. And it's not a hard thing for them to be generous. And so it's a heart issue. And so we've got to keep working on that daily. We also said generosity, that at, at what is central to Christianity, it's not just the center, by the way. Jesus is the center. That's why our mission is to be Jesus-centered. Central to Christianity is this idea of what the Apostle Paul called renewing the mind. Learning to see the way God sees the world so that when he asks us to do something, it makes more sense. Because when we see as God sees, we will be more inclined to do as God says. And so we brought up this big idea. I don't know if you remember the big idea for this next four weeks. Well, this in the second of four weeks. And we said this, that the big idea is this. How we manage what we assume is ours reflects our devotion to the one who it actually belongs. Let's read that together. Can we read that together? Here we go. How we manage what we assume is ours reflects our devotion to the one to who it actually belongs. Very good. As you read throughout Scripture, right from start, right from the start, right to the end, how generous is our God. And the reason we give is because he has blessed us with this gift of life. And you and I know life goes pretty quick and none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And as we get to the book of Acts, there's incredible things. How many people love the book of Acts, by the way? I love the book of Acts. It's an incredible book, isn't it? The book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. It's a story of God's church really starting to form. In fact, it's the, the, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
And so the Holy Spirit is on the move. Jesus has come. Jesus has gone. The Holy Spirit is on the move. The church is rising up. There is healing. There is mission. There is evangelism. There is serving. There are small groups. In fact, I would go as far to say on the day, during these days, there was revival that was happening in the community. Generosity is in the hearts of the early church. And as we pick it up in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says this. All the believers were what? One in heart and one in mind. In what? Well, it goes on. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. Now, as humans, we have a lot of good qualities, don't we? Sharing isn't something we're necessarily born with. You you look at a toddler who grows up. Most toddlers, don't they, Ben? Most toddlers (laughs) have to be taught how to share. And as we grow and as we mature, as we move to a place like the early church we get to because of the power of the Holy Spirit for what he has done in our lives, we can't help but give. We can't help but share. And the early church, they shared. They gave because they were blessed to be a blessing to the community and for the world to look on and to watch them burn in love, in faith, and in hope. And so there was this wonderful spirit, wasn't there? This wonderful spirit. I encourage you to read the book of Acts. And this is Acts chapter 4. We're talking about them. This wonderful spirit that rose up in the generosity and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And so generosity fuels God's mission for the church. The early church was generous. They shared everything they had. Then you have the the leaders of the church, the apostles, the missionaries, the, the people who were called by God to lead the church forward into the future. And then you come across the apostle Paul, who speaks into the life of a young pastor named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, he charges Timothy in this way in regards to generosity and sharing. And he says this, Command those, Timothy, who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so fragile and uncertain world we will live in, (laughs) but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, what? For our enjoyment. Do you know, you may be new here this morning, or maybe new to Christianity, trying to figure this God factor out, that God wants us to live lives and enjoy them. And enjoy it, not to be endured, but for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy our life and the things that he has blessed us with, but don't hold on to it so much because it's so uncertain. So this morning, as we reflect on the early church, we reflect on what's happening with sharing our things. I'm going to share just three stories, and I'm done this morning. Three stories from the Bible that might move us to be more generous because we have a vision. And we've called this series, where is it over there? Generosity towards 2020. It's just a simple reminder that we're on this journey as a Door of Hope Christian church into our future, as was the early church. And we believe God's given us three things for our future. To grow Him in our city, H-I-M. To grow hope, 
a thousand stories of hope and transformation by 2020, to grow invitations, Amanda mentioned there before, flourish next Saturday is an opportunity to invite, and then maybe to invite people to church, to whoever, however, it's not just family and direct friends, it's the community, whoever we're talking to, opportunities, and we're going to help us work that out. And also to grow mercy, to look at our um, organizational Good Samaritan and how are we going with that as well? To grow him in our city. Three stories that might move us to be more generous. Story number one is about a single mum. And it's recorded in the Old Testament. And this single mum finds herself in a very challenging situation. There's famine in her country, the economy is ruined, and the food is very expensive. She runs out of food and money and, uh, for her son and herself. And the outlook, the future for her and her family is not looking good. And she actually realizes this. She realizes, in fact, there's enough flour and oil for one more loaf of bread. And when she makes that loaf of bread for the two of them, they're going to lay down next to each other and die. I don't know if you're familiar with this story. But let's take it apart a little bit more. We'll come to it just in a moment. Because not too far away, there's a prophet of God and his name is Elijah. Now, Elijah is also affected in the same way that this lady and her family are affected. And God says to this prophet Elijah, in this moment of time, in this time of history, in 1 Kings, you can read the story, 1 Kings chapter 17, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Who? To Elijah. Hmm? Go to once to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went. He went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I think the story goes on. Is that right? Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. What on earth is God doing here? You know the story. We have the prophet Elijah. We have this widow. We have her son, her family, this famine, the bread. But we also have death is about to occur just around the corner. This is all she has, and her and her family are going to lay down and die. I want to ask you the question, what would you do if you were the widow in this story? Seriously, what would you do? What is going on? What is God up to? How do I know for sure that God will resupply like the prophet Elijah goes on? We'll take, take it, we'll read it further in a moment. What is going on here? Maybe. Could this be a story of faith? Could this be a story of resupply? 
You see, in a way, all of us are in the same shoes as this widow every time you and I are moved by God to generosity of any kind. When we are moved to help somebody out, when we are moved to give a gift to our fireside lounge project, which I mentioned last week for those who weren't here or don't know what I'm talking about, we'll mention that a little bit later on in our service. For those of us, we are moved to make a, a gift to our Miracle Missions offering every December. Or we've been moved to sponsor a child. We're moved by God to be obedient with our tithe. When we're moved by God to do something sacrificial, we are very much like this lady. And we ask the question, well, is he going to resupply? Will he take care of me if I step out in faith? Or won't he? Can I just add here, by the way, as a bit of a note for us all, that giving to the church is not a formula to get rich. As I mentioned before, as we give, it's an act of worship. It's an act of love and it's an act of obedience to God who has blessed us with everything. That's why these two swimmers, that's why the Fijian team could gather around in front of the whole world to see that what we have been given as people on earth it's not ours. And all glory to the God who of the resupply. And so when the Bible asks us to take the first tenth of all of our earnings, it requires that faith steps. And here's how it works. I explained this, I think, just a few months ago. But you may not have been here, and it's probably a good reminder for us all. And I said this, that there are two Christians. One tithes, and the other one doesn't. The first Christian kind of says, well, to get from A to B financially, it's going to require 100% of my earnings. 100% of my earnings. The second Christian um, who tithes says, well, I believe God's going to take me from A to B, in fact, not on 100%, but on 90% of my earnings, and I'm going to give God 10%, as I've been instructed to in Scripture, and I believe as a reward for my faith, as God promises in his word that I actually believe God is not going to take me from just A to B, God is going to take me from A to C because A to B is more about me. And we have an A to Z kind of God. And so here's what happens between these two Christians. Both actually think each other are absolutely crazy. Well, the non-tither, let's look at that person for the moment. The non-tither says, well, there's no way you are going to get from A to B on 90%. You actually believe what Scripture says? You are the fool. The faith-filled believer who tithes actually says, well, no offense, you're the fool. You see, A to B, he says, is what most people do. That's what most people are signed up for. All you are going to experience is that A to B kind of living. You may never know the feeling of God's supernatural activity in your life because this is the land of favor and of blessing. And so both think each other are absolutely stupid. Both think each other are fools. My question to you this morning is this. Which fool do you want to be? because you will land in either category. And I'm asking this morning, I've got a few questions to ask you this morning, seriously, to take away, to think about, which fool do you want to be? Personally speaking, Karen and I, my wife and I, 
want to be faith-filled fools. And we're not going back. We have been ever since we got married. As we sat down that day and we decided we will put God first. Why? Because together we build the church with our tithe. It's how we fund and finance all the needs of the church. I know it has warts because you're in it with me. (laughs) But I totally believe the church, yes, has warts, but it also has a lot of answers. A lot of answers. And so what he's purchased with his blood, my wife and I and many of you support with our tithe. Let's go back to the story just for a moment. And let's finish this first story off from verse 13 in 1 Kings. Verse 13, it says this. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. We'll keep going, thank you. She went away, and she did, as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Is anyone encouraged by that story this morning? That's story number one. Yes, you could probably argue that they could be sick of bread in the end, but they didn't die. <laughs> and so if the promise of God's ability, and if you believe that, as you step out in faith, as she stepped out in faith, that God is going to resupply, it's very real. I'm asking you this morning, why wouldn't you take that step of faith and become not just an A to B kind of person, but an A to C to D, etc.? That's story number one. Story number one. Let's go to story number two. The second story is this. This is a story about King David, an incredible character in the Bible. In the early days of his life, what some of us might know is that David was incredibly obedient in honoring God. He was a man after God's own heart. But he also knew the favor of God in his life. Yet as he grew older and mature in life, which often happens with, with wealthy, powerful people, the blessings of God started going to his head. And he started to tell the story a different way. It's like, well, David, how did, you, how did you, you know, get to where you are now? And he started to tell the story, well, I worked hard and I did this and it's all about me kind of story. And one day, the story unfolds here in this particular story of David. Um, he says to his general in 2 Samuel, he says, to find out how many troops we have on the ground. Do you know the story? How many troops do we have on the ground? Just at that moment as he asks this question, the general kind of sits up and he knows where he's coming from here because he's going to actually brag to foreign kings and how big his army really is. 
And so the general with David, he kind of pleads with David to not go there because they grew up together and God was the one who opened the doors for us. God saved us from our enemies, that God favored and blessed our lives. And don't give in, David. Don't give in to arrogance, whatever you do. If you go around bragging, David, that it's all about you and what you have achieved, you are going to undo what God has clearly done for you all these times. And David looks at his friend and he says this, number the troops. Let's press pause there on the story just for a moment. Can I ask you a question? How many of us remember actually starting this life with absolutely nothing? It's not a, not a trick question, by the way. <laughs> I think most of us would. And so over time, what do we do? We get in there, we figure out who God has created us to be. We go about a career and working that out and we become serious about our future. We work hard, good things start to happen. God opens the doors and his provision is very clear. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And all along we're giving God the credit. And sometimes we actually do what David did. We change his name for our name that I did it myself. I mentioned before, um, the Olympics and uh, Karen and I had a bit of time together uh, yesterday. We watched the movie called um, um, Eddie the Eagle. You haven't seen that? What a great movie. What a great movie. Eddie the Eagle, some of you might remember the 1988 Olympics, I think it was. Um, Eddie the Eagle, a British um, jumper, a uh, ski jumper. And an uh, incredible story of, uh, I guess, stupidity, uh, really. <laughs> but a great movie, a great family movie, and uh, uh, it was fantastic. Another movie um, that I love is a Tom Hanks movie called Castaway. You know, know, that, know that one? Where uh, he's on the aeroplane and uh, he's a sole survivor of a plane crash and uh, he washes ashore on a deserted island and he, he's got to go about his life in a way that he's on his own and he's, he needs to be rescued. And he goes about building this and building that and trying to get people's attention. And, and uh, anyone remember the name of the volleyball? Oh, you do, you do. You guys are movie buffs as well. That's right. Remember the hand? I think he had the, his hand, the blood on the ball. Anyway, they actually sell balls like that now. Do you believe that? A Wilson ball with the bloodstained hand. Anyway, this particular part where he's trying to get the fire going. You remember the part in the movie, he's trying to get the fire going because he's all alone, trying to keep warm, trying to send signals that I need rescuing here. And I don't know if you remember, this, this is really stuck clear in my mind because sometimes I have those moments as well, I don't know about you, where he says, look what I have created. Remember that? Look what I have created. And he puts that voice on, look what I have created. And I guess in a way, this is what David's going through. And the general actually comes back to David and he says, here's the number, David. And he adds it up, 800,000 and 300,000. Um, uh, there's a million, three, million 300,000. He says, go and brag. And so the minute David heard that number and realized what had driven him to want this number, he realized deep within his heart that he had done a terrible thing, a terrible thing, He'd been warned by a good close friend, one of his generals. And because of this 
time, because of what David did, God disciplined him for this act in a severe way. And in 2 Samuel chapter 24, feel free to do that in your 20 minutes in the chair this week. Have a read through. But David comes to his senses, and because of that, he needs to apologize to God. And what do you do in those days to apologize to God? You build an altar. That's what you do to seek forgiveness because the idea is that every time you pass this altar, you knew that you'd done a bad, bad mistake and that I made things right with God and I'll never make that mistake again and an animal is sacrificed. And as you go past this built altar, this rich guy comes on the scene and he recognizes David. He says, you're the king. Here's what I'm offering you, David. I'm offering you that, in fact, the perfect piece of land to build your altar on. In fact, I'm going to go a step further, David. I'm going to give you the crew to help you build the altar. In fact, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to give you the animal to sacrifice. That would mean so much to me for you, the king. And this rich gentleman, we find the story in 2 Samuel 24, 24. And this was his response. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that what? Cost me nothing. I'm not doing it. This has to cost me now. I've been disobedient. And I need to seek forgiveness. And I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. In that moment, in that moment, what David has recaptured is this. He's recaptured his integrity and his humility because he's recognized that all he had, all he had, just like our swimming friends and our Fijian um, rugby friends, all he had came from the generous hand of God. And he wanted to give a gift that cost because he knew deep down what we all know deep down, that expressions of generosity reveal the true condition of our hearts. Another question, have you ever given a gift to somebody that you know didn't cost you a lot? In fact, it probably didn't cost you anything. In fact, it was probably a gift you were given. Are you laughing because you, yeah. I think you know what I mean. (laughs) Have you ever given a gift to somebody that you know didn't cost you a cent? What are gifts supposed to do? Birthday time, Mother's Day time, Father's Day time, Christmas time. Gifts are supposed to reveal value to somebody, something that you value. Gifts reveal our hearts. And every time you gift Give a gift to some. Give God a gift. It's either considered prayerfully and sacrificially, and it's got to cost something. The way it cost David, because it reveals your love and heart and obedience and worship to and for him. Or you simply just throw something his way, and he sees it as its second best. There's no sacrifice, there's no cost. The Bible would say that's a blemished lamb. That's a hand-me-down, that is a leftover gift. And when God sees that, when he sees that it's a hand-me-down, 
It's a blemished lamb. Or he sees it as heartfelt. It's honoring and it came at a cost. That's when the Bible teaches us that the windows of heaven open up. And you won't be able to contain the amount of blessings. And I know so many people who lived an A to Z kind of life. Who have so many stories to share. I'm sure if we could have some time here this morning, you'd be able to share some of the stories. Third and final story and I'm done. It's from the New Testament. Luke chapter 21. This is, it's entitled The Widow's Offering. Uh, the widow's might you might be familiar with. And Jesus does something a little unusual here. What he does is he sits adjacent, adjacent to the temple treasury and watches long lines of people giving their gifts. We don't do that here, by the way. <laughs> this is what he did in the temple. And he decided to do this and he shares the story after watching uh, for a little while. He turns to the disciples and he said this. This is what I'm observing. This is what I'm observing. People come into the temple. We know people have a lot. But this is one I want you to know about. And it goes like this. In verses 1 to 4, in Luke chapter 21, says this, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a what? A poor widow put in two very small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Can I paraphrase that just for a moment? Can you just come with me just for a moment? Let me paraphrase. It's this. That small gifts really matter to the Father. Small gifts really matter to the Father. This is chewing gum money. You see, for her, this small gift was a huge demonstration of her faith in God. And what Jesus is saying here is this. It's not the size of the gift that matters as much as the size of the faith required to give the gift. You got it? It's not the size of the gift that matters as much as the size of the faith required to give the gift. And that's what really moves the heart of the Father. And to this day, to this day, to this day, we still talk about the widow's might giving. What an incredible story. And what Jesus was doing for the ages to come to explain to us that this really does matter to him. You know, one of the strongest manifestations of generosity that anybody has ever poured out to me is this. I will never forget this. These are my sponsor children. These are our sponsor children. Karen and I, as a wife, as a family, we sponsored two children. They're exact same age as our own two children. We did that on purpose, didn't we? We wanted them to grow up knowing that they have a brother and sister on another side of the world who don't have the wealth and the life that we have. Uh, Karen and I had the privilege of um, meeting with them and visiting with them. Uh, Karen went the first year. I went the following year. Had a wonderful time. I'll never ever forget this time that I had with the generosity of my two sponsored children, Gerald and Kay. And this is Kay's family. And they invited us in for having a meal. I know some of, some of you realize, you know, the feelings. You go back there. Some of you have been on, on trips like this. And that's why we encourage you. you. You don't go on a trip like this and come back the same. You don't. It's one of the most incredible gifts to generate. They invited us into their homes and I went into other people's sponsored children's families' homes and we sat there and they put on a feast for us. And one of the things you ask, you go, well, how do they afford this? How do they do this? What an incredible act of generosity. And we sit there with them and are so blessed by these families. And for some of you, I guess the point, we've got the next slide. Oh, yeah. So because they did this for me, I took them out. We took them out, didn't we? 
We took him out. There's my two families. And we took him out for a meal. <laughs> I wouldn't go out there to these kind of restaurants a whole lot. In fact, I think you said when you came back, it was the first time. It was the first time I think they'd went to a restaurant. some of you here today, I guess what I want to say is this, that earnings may be for a season, for whatever reason, your earnings aren't quite high enough right now. And you may think that my $5 really doesn't matter, but I need, you need to know this, that it matters to the Father. Why? Because it's not the size of the gift. It's the size of the faith required to give that God blesses. So I have another question for you, and it's this. We can go to the next slide. I'm asking this because there's a reason for this. Do you want to honor God in how you handle your money and in generosity? I want you to think about that. Because I say that and I ask that because of this. No one ever drifts into higher levels of godliness and generosity. You just don't drift. The drift in our human nature is never north. It's always south. And because of that, we have to make these courageous decisions as we move into the future towards 2020, generosity. So from these three stories this morning, what are we learning? Let me remind you of the stories. The first one was a story of what? A single mom. That God would use these stories. And you may be a single mom and a single dad here today. I want you to know that God knows, He sees, He loves and He cares. He is with you, He is for you. And as a church, we will do all we can to support you in spite of the circumstances that's going on. And God would use a single mum and her son in this story. A story of faith, a story of resupply, that in due time, as I step out in faith, God will resupply. Maybe not in the way we expect. That's the first story. The second story is King David. The giving comes at a cost. What did he say? I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that what? Cost me nothing. And so in my household, for me and my house, we've decided to give God the best, the first and the best, and trust him in faith to bless the rest. King David, the third and final story is the widow's offering or the widow's might giving, even with small gifts that really matter to the Father. Yet with all of these stories, it's going to take a big step of faith in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let me pray. Father, help us be a people who honor you and help each other and do life together in community. Help us to give you the glory in and through all things and in everything, just like our swimming friends and our Fijian friends. Lord, for you are a generous God and we are recipients of your grace and of your generosity. And we trust you. There may be people here this morning, sitting here this morning, who have stepped out in faith and trusting you to resupply. And so, Father, with the faith that we've been blessed with and the wisdom that we seek your face with, 
we will step out in faith and trust for your resupply. Help us, Father, to do generosity and giving your way towards 2020 vision. To help us, Father, we pray to see the world the way in which you see the world so the world may know that you are a good, good Father and that you are our God and we are your people. And just like the early church, we pray that we'd each be generous in words, generous in times, generous in our gift and abilities and generous in our finances because it comes from the heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And once again, we all say amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord for the word this morning? Is that okay? Thank you, Father.